Sales Tuners, Episode 42, with me, Jim Brown, and Nick Gloper, host of The Side Hustle Show. Nick, I call on a lot of CEOs. A lot of them tell me that they have a lot of great success when their salespeople get in front of other people. The problem is they're not very good at prospecting and getting in front of enough people. I can't imagine that's the case with you. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Audrey Hepburn, who said, nothing is impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. I've got a bit of a special show for you today. A few weeks ago, I was actually a guest on Nick Loper's Side Hustle Show to talk about a practical approach to sales. Nick's show focuses on entrepreneurs starting their businesses, and to me, that means they are the VP of sales, whether they realize it or not. It was a combination of the Side Hustle Show and the Tropical MBA podcast that motivated me to start Sales Sooners. And now, 42 episodes in, I'm really glad I did. As a sales coach, I spend every day in the trenches with my clients doing the work I talk about in the conversation today. It was actually kind of fun being on the other end of the questioning, and I hope you enjoy it. Before we dive in, I want to give a big shout out to iTunes reviewer Tom Page. Tom's five-star review said, Jim Brown's Sales Sooners podcast is a gym. For anyone desiring to improve their sales skills, add listening to Jim to your calendar. He's straightforward, wise, and experienced, and his interviews are rich. Somehow, he knows the questions that are going through the minds of his listeners, and he never fails to ask them. You always end a Sales Tuners episode as a smarter salesperson than when you started. Tom, you rock. Thank you so much, my friend. Shoot me an email so I can get you the sales book of your choice, as well as a free month of Read It For Me. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 42. But now let's get to the conversation where I get right to the math of the sales funnel and talk about the daily behaviors each of us need to do. You're selling something to someone at all times, right? Whether it be ideas or where you're going to go to dinner with your wife, right? You're selling something to someone. So from a true sales perspective, if you're doing this side hustle, there is a revenue goal you have in mind. At least I, I hope there is, right? So one of the very first things I want to do is understand that number and then break down all the steps it's going to take me to get there. Because the fact is that number can be daunting. Let's say it's $100,000. Well, how do you go from where you are today, zero to $100,000, especially in a services business? Like I said, the number can be daunting. Yeah. So the very first thing I want to do is make sure to set that goal. All right. So I've got that goal in hand. It could be a near-term goal and a long-term. Maybe the long-term goal is that hundred grand, but maybe the near-term goal is I want to cover my car payment or something like that. Sure. So let's start breaking it down after that, right? I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i keep using that number 100,000 just because it's easy for math purposes, right? So let's look at what your average contract value is, right? And so if, you don't, if you're not thinking in those terms, that's literally just the average of what you sell. So I'm gonna use the number 5,000. So you've sold a $5,000 product or service or you know retainer of some sorts. So let's just do simple math. How many $5,000 contracts do we need to reach that $100,000? 20 right? Pretty simple. 
Okay, so we still can't go from zero to 20. And honestly, we can't control the outcomes. The only thing that we can control is our input, our behaviors, our daily behaviors. So in order to get 20 contracts, Nick, how many proposals do we have to put out? So this is all about your conversion right now. Okay. Let's assume on average, you're going to convert 50%. So that means over the course of the year, I'm going to have to put out 40 proposals at a 50% conversion rate to get my 20 contracts of $5,000 to hit my $100,000, right? Okay. Okay. How do I get to the proposals? How many discovery meetings do I have to have? How many conversations with real humans, right? With real business owners am I going to have to have in order to get those 40 proposals out? So for today's, you know, simple explanation, I'm going to say at one out of every three discovery meetings, we're going to get to a proposal. So now we're going to need 120 discovery meetings over the course of the year. So now here's where things may start to get really hard. If we need 120 discovery meetings, how many prospects or leads, if you will, are we going to need to talk to or, or reach out to over the course of a year? I'm going to do really bad here and say it's going to take us 10 prospects to get one discovery meeting. So that's a 10% conversion rate. Okay. If that's the case, I now need to reach out to 1,200 people over the course of a year. Okay. We started we started at 20 customers. I was like, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> but now we're getting big. Yeah. And so that 1,200 number seems pretty daunting, right? If I tell you, Nick, you got to go make 1,200 cold calls or you know do 1,200 emails, you're probably going to tell me I'm nuts, right? Yeah. Right. So let's make this simple again. Now we're at 1200. It does seem daunting. I totally get it, but it's a real, it's a real number. So now let's back out from that. We've got 12 months of the year, right? I'm assuming that you're going to work every month. Maybe not. We've got 12 months. So that means now we have to do 100 per month, right? Right. Okay. Still decently big number, but we've got four weeks on average in that month. 100 divided by four is 25. Well, guess what? We also have five days in each of those weeks. So now it's down to five. So daily, every single day, could you reach out to five people either by phone or by email? That sounds much more doable. Much more doable. And now if, if, all, if all these numbers hold true that we talked about, right? I'm not going to go back through them all. I'm happy to if you want to. But if all those numbers start to hold true now, we should close 20 $5,000 contracts and make $100,000. But here's where the fun begins. Now, if we actually start testing and tracking all of our methods, and let's say we improve some of those inputs, let's say we improve all of those inputs. Now we can start to really see how we can get going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can bump your conversion rate. If you bump your any one of those percentages just a little bit can make a big, big impact. Or even your average contract value. Let's say it becomes $10,000, right? Yeah. All right. So, no, I really like that. And I think this is a, probably the definition of a slight edge habit of, you know, making that daily commitment to doing that outreach, to doing that prospecting. What would you say if people were like, well, where am I going to come up with a list? If I had a list of 1200 leads, this would be, this would be a piece of cake. Yeah. And that is the hard thing, right? And what I want to make sure everybody understands is I literally do this for myself, not only my clients, but for myself on a daily basis, right? Just this week, I called 30 CEOs, right? And, and I'm talking about calls, literal cold calls. They've never heard from me before in their life. And of those 30 calls, I talked to five human beings. Three of them I set appointments with. One of them, I got a referral to the person who I actually should have a conversation with. And then what continues to blow my mind, seven other CEOs have returned my voicemail since I left that for them. So th this actually works if you just try it. But to your question, Nick, how do you find these people? So let's, let's take a time out and talk about cold calling for a second, because even as someone who's done cold calling door to door in the past, like 
that sounds really intimidating to me now that I'm 15 years removed from it. Sure. <laughs> How do you get over, I don't know, in a, in a very text and email heavy world, the thought of picking up the phone and calling a stranger is, it's become scary. It's become a lost art, I guess. It really has. And what I love that you just said is it's become a lost art. And, and why, why I'm saying that is because typically the CEOs or, or the people that we're calling on these days are people who grew up with the phone. So they are tired of being bombarded with these spammy emails that are salespeople telling them that they can solve every, every problem on the face of the earth. And they're just getting dripped on every single day, week, et cetera. I, I talk to these guys, right? On a daily basis. And you would okay. not believe how many emails they get that the person knows nothing about them. So again, they grew up with the phone. They want to talk to a human being. So they're actually willing to pick up the phone. I know a lot of people say, you know, I don't check my voicemails. It's all BS, Nick. It really is. I mean, that's why I gave you the numbers earlier. So how do you get over the fear? Well, one is pick up the phone. That's going to help you get over the fear, but have a plan, right? That's where I, I start with everybody that I work with is just literally have a plan. So the reason why a lot of people struggle with, with cold calls is they don't know what to say. They also think they have to sell somebody on the phone call. But if yeah. I, but I would ask you the question, Nick, how many people have you called on and immediately sold them something right there on the phone at that time. Right. That's never the objective. It's never the objective, but too many people think that it is, right? So my objective on a cold call is literally just to get a meeting. I want to put time on your calendar to be able to have a meeting. So having a plan is the very first thing that I want to teach people. Once we have a plan, now we can back into a script. And, and, and I hate even using that word. It's, it's more just a framework. Yeah. Here's the types of things you're going to say in order to accomplish your goal. But here's where it gets real valuable. You can't sound like a salesperson. You can't call and immediately say, Nick, hey, this is Jim Brown, and I'm going to solve all the world's problems today. If you just listen to me for 10 seconds, I'm going to save you $99. It just doesn't work like that, right? Yeah, click. Click immediately, right? So if you're up for it, I'll do a little bit of a cold call right here. You want, you want to do that? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to role play. And we, we have not practiced this. I have not told you what I'm going to say. But Let's pretend that you actually pick up your phone and I'll do a, cold, a quick cold call with you. All right. This is Nick. Nick, hey, Jim Brown with Sales Tuners. Name ring a bell. Um, I, I feel like I've heard of you somewhere. Oh, yeah. Where? Jim Brown's a pretty common name. Exactly. So as soon as you say that, though, now we're off into a conversation. Cold call's over. I get to actually talk to a human. But let's say you say no, right? Okay. Yeah, I never heard of you. Who's this? No, no reason you should. Nick, this is a sales call. Probably easiest one you're going to get all day. I'm going to take 30 seconds of your time and then you tell me if we should keep talking. Fair? Okay, let's do it. Nick, I call on a lot of CEOs. A lot of them tell me that they have a lot of great success when their salespeople get in front of other people. The problem is they're not very good at prospecting and getting in front of enough people. I can't imagine that's the case with you. Mm, continue. What do you mean? Right? But literally, I might say something like that. What do you mean? Because as soon as you start to do that, I'm going to break out of my, my script or my framework and start having a conversation. Right. Because like no, yeah, no CEO is like, well, they don't want less sales. They, they feel like they don't go, their salespeople could always be doing better. Right. And so it's like, well, you know, I'm curious enough to keep going, you know. That's exactly right. But a lot of people think, Nick, that I've got to get you to say yes to everything immediately. It's a race to yes. And that's not the case. Yeah. Right. I should have been a tougher customer for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally fine. But but literally, I mean, I, I and I do this with my clients. I, I walk them through this role play. And I'm like, look, if you start to understand the actual pains that your typical customer has, you can talk to them as a real human being and say, look, I, I know you. These are the types of things that I solve. 
right? And again, all we're doing at that point is moving or trying to move to to an actual meeting. Okay. So that's kind of the cold calling stuff. Have a plan in place, like know what you're going to say, or at least know the types of things you're going to say, like that framework. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't know if I like the word script either, but like, yeah. if that makes you more confident, absolutely have some notes written on a piece of paper and that like absolutely helped me cold calling and of course tweaked it depending on the situation and you know what you would say it was like hey this is nick i'm with college work so we're going to be painting a ton of houses in your neighborhood over the summer would love to stop by this weekend give you a free estimate yep and that works definitely in a door-to-door space right but when you're on the phone what i like to have is three pain points that i anticipate the person has right? Okay. That's the idea. But I don't want to have to get through all of them. I want one of them to turn into a conversation, right? But I'm taking the opposite approach. I'm not saying, hey, I I know you have this because the buyer can tell me I'm wrong immediately and that's not what I want. So I'm going to take the negative aspect, right? And so if you remember when we did our little little role play a few minutes ago, I said, hey, a lot of the people that I talk to, they say they have this problem. Now, I can't imagine you have that problem. Okay. (laughs) You're like trying to position them as like, well, you're probably better than most of the people I talk to. That's very subtle. (laughs) Okay. I want to go negative, right? So here's the thing, Nick, people, and this is, this gets into psychology and we could spend all day on this, but people don't buy intellectually. They buy emotionally and rationalize it after the fact, right? Yeah. So what do I mean by that? I'm not going to sit here and tell you all the features and benefits and ROI and and all that to get you to move, right? Now, unless it's just absolutely amazing, you might. But the reality is, if you want me to change what I'm currently doing, you have to get me emotionally involved, emotionally charged. What are the things that I'm frustrated with? What are the things that scare me? What are the things that terrify me? If you can start having that conversation with me, now you can have the opportunity to move me from what I'm currently doing. And then again, later, I'm going to come back and I'm going to rationalize it to myself. But you sold me because I got emotional. I got involved in the process. Okay. What comes next? One of the the first questions you started to ask for is, how do we get that list? Who do we know who to call on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I want to do is I want to look at three things. Who are my acceptable clients or, or prospects? Who are my typical clients and who are my ideal clients, right? And this is just basic demographics and and common patterns of who I've sold to, right? So I love the idea of niching down and I want you to niche down until it hurts. And I've I've listened to your show for well over a year now. I've, I've heard many people say that, but niche down until it hurts, seriously, because at that point, you know the demographics of who you're calling on and you've seen the commonalities in their pain, challenges, frustrations, and you can align your solutions to those, right? So once you do those, once you have some basic demographics, and and these could be things like company size, right? I'm assuming you've picked a vertical, but they could be company size. They could be title of the person that you're reaching out to. They could be revenue size, not just company size of employees, but revenue size. Lots of different things you could, maybe it's geographical. Maybe it's by state, right? So I want all the dog groomers in Southern California who are over $1 million in revenue, right? getting to that level. Now I literally can go get a list and I can do it for free on, on LinkedIn and just find that I could go to something like zoom info and pay for data there. Lots of different places I could get that data, but now I actually have a list of people I can call on. Okay. That helps. And when we talk to 
John Logar, might have been a couple of years ago at this point, he's one of the best salespeople I ever talked to. And he had a similar criteria. He's like, well, I'm looking for clients that are, or looking for companies that are between, you know, this million dollars in revenue and this number, and they have this number of employees and they're on the Inc. 5000 list. So it's like, you know that they're growing and they're investing in growth. And so he had all this criteria. So I think that is is helpful to do. Like I like this dog groomer. I'm looking for this criteria. And so that gives you a concrete number versus like, I do copywriting. Well, for who? Or <laughs> exactly. you know, what industry? Or who do, you, who do you serve? Who do you help? Okay. Exactly. Well, but even that, right? So copywriting, copywriting is great and it could serve everybody, but you don't need to serve everybody. And you can do all the in... So when someone brings you an inbound lead or inbound deal, that's great. You can service anybody. But when you're doing outbound, that's when you just want to get very, very specific about who you're targeting. And that's why I laid out that idea of who are my acceptable clients? Who will I take, right? And these may be people that are going to pay me a little bit less than what my average deal would, Okay. but, but maybe they go faster. Maybe they actually close faster. Maybe the work's easier. Then I've got my typical client. And in our scenario today, these are the people that are going to pay me $5,000 to do whatever it is that I do. They're going to hit those demographic criteria. And then I've got ideal clients. Now the ideal clients, they're like the 10%. They're the ones that are doing over you know, $10 million in revenue. And I know that I can connect to the CEO. Maybe it's because it's a named account. It's someone who I actually want to work with. Maybe I'm going to reach out to them on social. And there's just all kinds of different things there. But once you start to bucket them and have those demographics, that's when you start to get really, really, you can find those patterns. Patterns. Okay. How are you finding the contact information for these folks? So LinkedIn actually does a really good job of that. But here's the thing. The CEOs that I called, that's, how, that's just how I got the name. So I knew the companies. I found the CEOs on, on LinkedIn. And then literally I took their phone number off their website. So I'm calling sometimes through a phone tree, which and phone trees are amazing. Most companies these days have a phone tree and you can dial by name directory and get right to the CEO. Sometimes, really? okay, yeah, absolutely. Literally, I just did it. Um, but sometimes you're going to get their assistant. When I get their assistant, you got to act like you own the place, right? So if I'm calling on you and let's say, you know, you, you had your assistant answer the phone and her name's Katie. I'd be like, hey, Katie, it's Jim Brown. Hey, I'm trying to reach Nick. Is he still around this afternoon? Yeah. And they're like, well, this person must know him. Absolutely. Right. And, and more often than not, they're going to pass me through. And, and again, I, I'm saying this stuff from experience because I do it. I literally made these cold calls last week. So it, it happens and it works. So I, I'm taking the phone number right off the website. As far as an email address goes, there are so many ways to get email addresses and verify them. Two of the tools that I use, one of them is called uh, my goodness. I'm, I knew I was going to lose it as soon as I said it. No problem. Well, I, I mean, you just look up like, you know, Google email verification. I've used a handful of them. I just type sometimes guesses into uh, Gmail with reportive in the sidebar. And it like, if it spins for a minute and if it pops up a LinkedIn profile, I'm like, bingo, I got one. Yep. So like I said, I'll send you the one that I use specifically, but it's a plugin for LinkedIn that it will actually show you. It'll guess what it thinks that person's email address is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is great because it literally is right there. Um, and then I use another tool called verify-email. And what that does is you plug the email address in there and it tells you whether or not it is a real email address. It tries to hit the MX records and tells you whether or not it's real. Okay. I think that's the one I've used online. There you go. Okay. So uh, it, it, there we go. It, it's Hunter, hunter.io. I, I knew it was in my head. So hunter.io, you can just go in there and type any URL and it will give it to you, or it's a plugin for LinkedIn. And so when you're okay. on the person's profile, it will guess their email address for you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. For a lot of side hustlers, I think email 
potentially makes more sense than than calling. Let's say you're going to do like a lunchtime power hour out in your car or something, or you're going to do, you know, somebody in a different time zone on your way to work or something. Sure. But email is acceptable too. What would you, instead of that, that cold calling script, would it be something similar on email or how would you phrase that, that first outreach message? So it's actually going to be very similar to the cold call script idea. And, and here's what I mean by that. So first off, let's look at the subject line. Nick, you've posted a lot of stuff on your website about the subject lines to get the most opens for your, your email list. It's the same thing with the personal outreach. If your subject line looks like it was written by a marketing department, it's probably going to get deleted, right? And the whole goal of a subject line is to get someone to open it. After you get them to open it, then they can read the content. But the first thing is get them to open it. I've seen a lot of success with things like phrases that are three words or less, I've seen a lot of success with not capitalizing the first word that I put in, in the email subject line. I've seen a lot of success with asking a question in the subject line. And I've seen a lot of success with putting the person's name in the subject line that I'm reaching out to. Right. Okay. But again, the whole idea with that is just to get them to open it. Now, once they open it, don't make it about you. No one cares about you. They don't even know you. So why would they care about you? They've never heard of your company. These are the types of, what are the pains that you typically solve for that person? And put it right there in the email and make it short and sweet. I recommend no more than three sentences for an outreach email. And once you do that, literally just say, hey, I work with people who have this problem. I don't know if that's you. If it is, they might hit reply. If not, it's fine. You can reach out to them again. Maybe you can call them now. Maybe you can hit them on social. Maybe you can send them a note on LinkedIn, right? There's multiple ways to get in front of a person. Okay. I work with people who have this problem. Is that you or does that describe you? Okay. Because I'm trying to think of like, you know, three sentences isn't a lot to convey a lot of information. I think the natural tendency is going to be to be like, well, here are my credentials. Here's, you know, some other people that I've helped in the past. Here's what I can do for you. And all of a sudden it's like, well, now it's five paragraphs and uh, you lost me. That's right. And, and people don't have time for that. Right. So one of the, another like kind of rule of thumb that I like to tell people if, you know, three sentences, my first one, but think about looking at an email on your phone, you should not have to swipe at all to read the entire email. Most email is consumed these days on the phone. And so if I have to swipe, you've lost me. I don't have time for that. But if you show in that first couple, like I said, two, three sentences that, you know, me, you know, my industry, you know my company and you can solve a pain that, that, I, that you think I have, now the, the chances of me replying have infinitely skyrocketed. Okay. Well, let me give you the example of a recent guest who was a, was a copywriter but specialized in crowdfunding campaigns. And she had built a pretty substantial business on, on Fiverr. But because she'd kind of put up her profile and people could go and order from her, but I imagine it would be more difficult to do this proactive outreach because it's like, you never know when somebody's going to launch a crowdfunding campaign until they do. And at that point, well, they already hired a writer or it's like, it's too late. So how would you recommend she, if she wanted to start doing the proactive approach, how would she go about it? Well, a couple of things. You're making a big assumption there that they have already hired a writer, right? Maybe they've launched that crowdfunding campaign without a writer, and now she knows the hurdles that they're going to go through. So I would start monitoring the crowdfunding sites, and whenever I see one go live that I can tell has not been professionally written, I'm literally just going to reach out to that person at this point and say, hey, here's some of the hurdles you're probably you're, you're about to face. If you face them, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Okay. 
right? And, that, and that's reality, right? So she said, hey, I know the crowdfunding space. It looks like yours wasn't professionally written. Here are some of the hurdles that I've seen from other people who've done exactly what you're about to do. When you face them, let's talk. Okay. So now you have the, you, you've positioned yourself as the expert. You've done everything you need to do. And if those things come true, you don't think they're going to reach out to you? They're like, how did you know that stuff about my business? <laughs> Like, well, it became public when you posted uh, <laughs> sure. a poorly written <laughs> campaign. Okay. Anything else like to do to hit somebody before they get to that stage? Well, look, and this is where sales is sometimes just a numbers game, right? So for her specifically, you know, I'd have to probably get a little bit more context. But in general, you you never know if you're going to hit somebody at the exact right time. And that's why, what are the common pains that you solve? And it's always more than one, right? So the first email should be one problem. The second email outreach should be a second problem. The third email outreach should be a third problem, right? And every single one of those has to look like it's the first time you've ever reached out because you cannot assume they read your previous email. Okay. So is this you, is this you replying to the same thread or is this you start a new conversation? I like to test. I like to do a lot of different testing in that <laughs> okay. regards. So sometimes I do reply to the same one. Other times it's a brand new email with a brand new subject line. Okay. So one of the last uh, clients I was working with, they sold digital you know, display advertising. One of the biggest challenges that's coming on in the space right now is everybody moving to this programmatic buying platform. Well, programmatic's good at scale, but even in programmatic, there's a lot of waste. So our number one performing subject line in emails was literally the word programmatic. And it was a lowercase p in programmatic. Hmm. So when you see that just in your inbox, you're like, programmatic. Like, what is this? I have to open it. It's just like some, like it was just having to be a buzzword in that space. Yeah. Or you know that space, right? But also it being a lowercase letter P to start it, it looks like it came from a human being. Right. Instead of everything being initial capped and nice and neat and like 20 words long. Yeah. I found the same thing for most of my broadcast emails trying to I'll still capitalize the first letter most of the time, but everything else you just, cause that's more, I don't know, more natural, I guess. Sure. It is, but like... It, it pains me. Like, <laughs> I could want it to be a time. <laughs> I totally get it. You you don't want it to look like something like that, but it works. Another one that works really well, Now I know we're kind of bouncing around here now, but like, well, let me say this first. I hate it when people do the RE trick. They make it look like it's a response. Don't yeah. do that. It, it, it will hurt your reputation. However, something that does work well is forward. So... Copy and paste an email that looks like it's been sent to you that maybe contains links to something says, hey, Nick, you should check this out. And then subject line forward, whatever the, your new subject line is. And then you type a few notes above that. And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, someone sent this to me. I'm sharing it with you because I thought it was really cool. Okay. That works. Okay. No, I do. I do like that. I, I used the RE trick one time on a broadcast and it, it kind of backfired. So yeah, I'll, I'll second that. Don't, don't do that. But I do like the forward thing. I probably wouldn't do it on a broadcast message, but you know, for this type of one-on-one -on -one outreach for sure. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of you, or I'll do that. Or I used to do that with uh, help a reporter emails like, Hey, did you see this inquiry? Here's a press opportunity. I think you might be a fit for, I think that's kind of a cool way to do it. Absolutely. Okay. So what's, what's coming next? So kind of, we started with, you know, getting, getting honest about your numbers and then backing into what that looks like in terms of daily commitment, in terms of outreach. Let's say you get a positive response to your, your email, to your phone call. What, what happens next? Like, oh my gosh, I got a live one here. What do I do? Yeah. So now you're moving into the discovery stage and you got to have a conversation with them, right? So it's easy at that point to just come in and immediately say, Hey, here's all the amazing things that I can do for you. 
But what I want to do is I want to take a step back and I'm going to ask him a question. And Nick, you're probably going to think I'm crazy on this, but I'm going to set an upfront contract with him. And I'm going to simply say, Hey, Nick, really appreciate you taking your time for this call today. I've got a full agenda here, or, you know, I've got 10 questions, whatever it is. I've got some questions I want to ask you, but before I do that, Nick, I know you didn't just have a half an hour on your calendar that said meet with salesperson. So what were you hoping to get out of today's conversation? Okay. Right now you're going to actually hear from them. Well, look, your email intrigued me. Your phone call intrigued me. We actually do have some issues with XYZ service that you reached out upon. So I, I want to better understand what it is that you do in that space. Okay. Great. Awesome. We'll definitely get to that. So here's some of the questions that I have for you. And now you, this is where you want to have a standard questionnaire that you start to go through. The idea is you want to find the pains that you solve and see if they have them. So you're testing the water on a lot of different things here. Again, lined up with the services that whatever it is that you offer, whether it be copywriting or whether it be videography or graphic illustration, any of those types of things. Okay. So that's a half hour meeting. Is that when you're trying to get a deal signed? I mean, especially if a $5,000 deal like that could be a lot to ask for at the end of half an hour. Absolutely. Could be. And it may take you a couple of meetings to do that. Right. But here, here's one of the things that I want to start to do. I got to understand their pain. I want to also understand how they get that problem solved today. So okay. if, you, if you tell me, Hey, let's go back to this copywriting example that you used. So I'm a copywriter. I'm reaching you out for that. Hey, so Nick, it sounds like you currently do some copywriting. How do you get this done today? I, well, I do it all myself. Exactly. So you do it all yourself. Well, how much time does that take you, Nick, right? I'm going to start looking for that. I'm going to start to find where, where that pain is for you, right? Maybe you outsource it. And maybe if you've outsourced it, you've been burnt. Or maybe you outsource it and you just get a whole bunch of errors coming back. Or you outsource it only to find out that they end up outsourcing it to someone else. And it's just a big mess, right? I want to find what that pain is for you. Maybe I find out that it's you actually have no problem with your current process, but you want to do more. And the current provider that you have or your current internal capabilities, your, your bandwidth is limited. So you want to do 10 times the amount of content that you have, right? Once I start to understand that, now I see where you're going. But now I can start to ask, hey, how much do you, you know, when you, when you solve this problem now, what do you typically pay? So now I don't have to ask about budget. I'm asking them what they're used to paying for this solution. And if somebody, if you're approaching somebody whose previous experience has been doing it themselves and it comes down to that question of, well, how much is that costing you or how much do you pay? What are you probing for? Or what do you expect to get, get back? Well, I've been doing it all myself. Yep. And, and I'm assuming, you know, you, you pay yourself a salary. If we divide that salary by 2000 hours, which is the, what the typical person works in a, in a year, what does that equate to right now? You don't have to tell me, but is it $35 or is it $65 an hour? Right. It doesn't matter what they say there right? They could say, well, okay, maybe it's $50 an hour, but Nick, I'm not paying you $50 an hour to do this, right? To which you could say, look, I, I never asked for that. I just want to understand what you're currently investing in it. And it sounds like if you're doing it yourself, you're investing $50 an hour. Now, how many can you get done personally in one hour? Well, I can get two done. Okay. So now essentially you're, you're used to paying $25 an article. Tell you what, mine's only $20 an article. Sure. Okay. Right. Which could be a significant raise from what you would typically charge which could be a good thing. And that's why I, before I put out my hourly rate or I put out, you know, my fees, I want to understand what they're comfortable paying because oftentimes it could be more than what I'm, what I was going to charge. Right, right, right. If you can get them to name a number first or, you know, figure out really how expensive a problem is this. And that's a phrase that I think Jonathan Stark used on the show, find an expensive problem to go and solve. I like that. 
that's the key. If you can find the value, what it's, what it's actually worth instead of what you charge for it, my goodness, this is where things get crazy. And, and you know, I, I'd be happy to share numbers, but, but literally I've gone into places thinking, okay, this is going to be a, you know, three, four, $5,000 a month retainer to do sales coaching. And, you know, I get to the end of it and they're like, well, look, if you could actually do the things that you say you could do, this would be worth a couple of million dollars a year to us. So when I hear that, it's like, okay, if I tell you it's only going to be $60,000 a year to solve a $2 million problem, uh, that might not be enough. And now I can just say a bigger number and throw it out there. Do you think it's almost, they're going to view it as, well, they can't, you can't possibly do it for that cheap or what? <laughs> so I'll use a real example. Uh, this came from one of my clients that I coached today. They just lost a deal to a, an, another firm. But the CEO of the company they were selling to was actually a friend of the guy of my client who lost the deal. So they did a full postmortem with my client afterwards to tell him why they lost the deal. My client went in and said it was going to be $160,000 to solve the problem that the client wanted. The winning company was $1.7 million. Jeez. So they're like, you clearly, you must not have understood the scope of our, of our issue. That's exactly right. Because why, why were you charging 10x less? You're not even in the same league as what yeah. our, and, and that's, that's reality, right? And so you have to truly understand the value of the problem you're solving, not just what your hourly rate is. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I've, I'm trying to think about like past sales conversations where it's like, and even, even freelancer bids, like I'll kind of take, take out the outliers high and low and say, well, Clearly, they didn't understand the scope of the problem, or clearly they, you know, were way overshooting this. And that's really interesting to hear. It's like, yeah, there's such thing as you don't want to be the low bid by too much. Otherwise, it's like, well, that's kind of a red flag. Absolutely. And there's the flip side of that too. If your client or your prospect, I guess, because they're not a client yet, if the prospect is only worried about price, gosh, you really don't want that client, right? right. They're just going to be a pain in your, you know what, the whole time. Right. And if you've kind of articulated your ability to solve this problem and how expensive that problem is, the price becomes, they're still going to have to pay it, but it becomes less relevant versus you've reminded me of how much this hurts and how expensive it is. Like, <laughs> can you just make it go away? Yeah. I'll give you another real example. So a few years ago, I was selling SEO services to, to the enterprise, right? And there's a small company called Claire's, uh, you know, the, the little girl's boutique that sells jewelry and whatnot. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I was up there at their headquarters in Chicago and they said, Jim, look, we've, we've had a couple of meetings with you now. We have to understand what this is going to cost. And I said, you haven't given me enough information for me to give you the quote to tell you how much it's going to cost. They're like, we hear you. That's great. But you got to give us a ballpark. I said, okay, here's your ballpark. On average, it costs $100,000 per category on your site that we optimize for. And so they, you know, just, you could see them in, the, in their heads real quick. They said, well, we have 17 categories, Jim. We don't have $1.7 million to do SEO. I said, no. guys, I never said you needed $1.7 million. You told me to give you an average, right, of, of what yeah. customers spend. I said, okay, so how many categories do you want to work on? And they said, well, our, our, our budget was $200,000. So here again, I've now revealed all their numbers without actually sharing all of mine. I said, okay, so you have $200,000, which which 15 categories do you not want to work on? And I said, well, you know, we need to work on at least four or five of these. And I said, okay, well, four or five is going to cost you somewhere between four and $500,000, right? And at the end of the day, it ended up being like a $470,000 contract, but I anchored it high at 1.7 million. And they said, no way. I'm like, well, I'm also not going to year 2 million. So where can we, or year 200,000, I'm sorry. So where are we going to land? Okay, fair enough. 
All right. And then you kind of take it, take it from there, take your process, and then it's on you to deliver the goods. Right. And that's where it comes back down to, to the work schedule at the end of the day. And so I don't, I want to avoid the peaks and valleys that every consulting or services business gets into. They sell a whole bunch of stuff. Now they got to deliver the work and then they quit selling. And so now they get that peak and valley. That's what I want to avoid. So that's why I'm literally talking about doing five calls or five outreaches a day, however you want to do it. And you can do that. You can put that in your schedule so that you still have the entire day to do the work that you've sold, but you have that constant pipeline that you're trying to build. And if somebody doesn't pick up the phone, that still counts because you still made you still made the call. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, okay. and I, I, I'm not advocating only reaching out to somebody one time, right? You may have to reach out to somebody, a single person, seven, eight, nine, ten times before you actually connect with them. And that's okay. So all of those outreaches count. Okay. Okay. So that could, your, your, your 1200 outreaches could, maybe, maybe it's not a 1200 person prospect list. Maybe it's 600 or 300. But it's like, okay, I'm going to go back, circle back the next month, multiple times to make sure it happens. That was actually Jason Zook on the, the sponsorship episode it was really, really surprising to hear over half his deal. I think he said 70% of his deals didn't come on the first message, which I guess in hindsight, maybe isn't that surprising, but it's like he had the foresight to make sure to follow up. And he's like, everything came on the follow up, you know, the second, third, fourth time doing the outreach. And so I'm understanding probably the same here where it's like, okay, okay, wh- you know, what's this guy have to say? You know, maybe I got to pay attention to him a little bit. Well, and when you add in that persistence, now all of a sudden the person's like, okay, they're not going away. Maybe I should at least just entertain them and, you know, give them, you know, 15 minutes to, to prove themselves. Yeah. So that persistence does pay off. We should probably add too that the this five prospect and your number may be higher and lower depending on the price of your, your product and the goal, the price of your service. But it's like, that's probably only going to take you 15, 20 minutes. Like that's not going to be a huge, huge time investment every day. And it's like, okay, that can totally be your slight edge habit of, you know, just day in, day out. This is just something that I do now. And it's going to keep that pipeline filled. Absolutely. And, and so let's double the time that you just said. So maybe it takes 20 to 30 minutes because you have to do the research for those five people as well. Right. But that's it. 30 minutes a day. And now you could be on your way to potentially a hundred thousand dollar side hustle or, or services business. That's right. Well, Jim, this has been awesome. Again, salestuners.com. I understand you've got a special gift for the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we did a lot of math today. And if you're like me, you can't hear numbers in your earbuds <laughs> and, and compute them. So I've got a full ebook and, it, and it's a workbook, right? You're gonna have to do some work to make this happen, but it's free. So it's at salestuners.com slash side hustle. And it's gonna walk you through everything that we talked about today from setting your goal, what that needs to actually look like to the daily, weekly and monthly behaviors that you need to do in order to get those predictable outcomes that you want. Perfect. Salestuners.com slash side hustle. Perfect for the freelancers, perfect for the consultants, perfect for the productized service providers out there. I think this would be really cool for uh, for you guys as well. Jim from salestuners.com. Thank you so much for joining me. Salestuners.com slash side hustle. And let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for side hustle nation. So this one's fun for me, but you will never get anything in life that you don't ask for. Let me break that down. Let's, I'm going to do it on the consumer side. If you go to Best Buy and you are going to buy a TV that's $900, what is the harm in asking the salesperson if you can pay $600 for it? There's two options. They can say yes, and you just save $300. Or worst case scenario, they say no, and you were already going to buy it anyway. You will never get anything that you don't ask for. So start asking. You will never get anything you don't ask for. So start asking, Jim. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. Like I said, it was definitely different being on the receiving end of the questioning. 
And while it didn't follow my standard format, I do want to give a book recommendation that Nick mentioned. If you haven't read The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson, you should think about picking it up. It's the little things that you do every single day that create huge gains in the long run. Also, if you had any trouble following along with the math or would just simply like to put your own plan in place, I've done most of the work for you at salestuners.com roadmap, and you can fill in a few of your own numbers and all the calculations are done for you. All right, let's get to the top takeaways that I hope you took away from my conversation with Nick. Number one, figure out a growth trajectory. One of the first challenges I see a lot of salespeople struggle with is their quota or actual goal. Regardless of what the number is, going from zero to that number can seem daunting. Instead of focusing on the end, find the unit of growth that makes your sales process work and then do the backwards math to develop your daily game plan. You'll find this activity to be a lot more manageable. Number two, quit being afraid of cold calls. It's so much easier to send out a quick batch of emails. I get it. But the simple and harsh truth is cold calling works. A personal conversation is more memorable, not to mention more open-ended than the 100th email your prospect receives in a given day. First thing first, you can't sound like every other salesperson on the planet. Instead of trying to get them to say yes, be skeptical and determine if they even have the problems your product or service can help. Second, create equal business stature. Tell them you're only going to take 30 seconds of your time and then they get to decide if you should keep talking. And last, realize the whole point of a cold call is to set up a meeting, not immediately sell them something. Number three, find the right clients to call. Ask yourself the following questions. Who are my acceptable clients? Who are my typical clients? Who are my ideal clients? Look at the demographics for the niche that you're in. Group potential clients by location, years in business, revenue, industry, employees, or whatever you can to narrow down the scope. Then overlay that with the top reasons your last three to five customers actually bought from you. Being able to tell similar stories makes the conversation more fluid. And number four, write emails that get responses. Your subject line is the most important piece with, with the sole goal of getting the recipient to open the email. A few of the things I've seen work include using three words or less, not capitalizing the first word, asking a question, and using the prospect's first name. But getting a response is another story. The body of the email should be short and not about you. Your prospects don't care about you because they don't know you. Instead, focus on what you think their problem could be and how others have solved a similar challenge. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guest, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay